Well, good morning and happy Father's Day. We want to ask all of our fathers if you'll join me in standing and will the rest of us just give them a round of applause in recognition of that great task they have. And guys, you will remember back on Mother's Day, we had that really nice candy for the ladies. The applause was it. Just sit down. That's all you get. No chocolate. Well, we're here this morning to ordain James Ford into the gospel ministry. And many, many years ago when I was a young preacher, uh, I had the opportunity to be part of a large countywide baccalaureate service. They brought all of the students from all of the high schools in the county together for this one big service. And so we had this huge platform up there filled with preachers from all kinds of churches and various denominations. And the, the lead speaker, the main speaker that day was a local Presbyterian pastor who was originally from Scotland, so he had that accent that just caught your attention when he spoke. And he stood up and got ready to start. And the first thing he did was look up and down the long platform that we had. And he looked back to the congregation there and he said, I am reminded tonight that preachers are much like manure. He said, when you have them spread out, they're tolerable, but when they're all in one pile, they can raise quite a stink. (laughs) Well, that may be how y'all feel about us here on staff every once in a while. I hope not. But the reason I tell that story is that we do have a lot of pastors, a lot of preachers here on our staff. And I think the fact that you have a lot of pastors sometimes takes away the significance of what we're doing here today ordaining someone into the gospel ministry. There are churches that are hundreds of years old that have never once had the opportunity to do that. And so for us to be able to stand here today and to have this young man who for the past 14 years has been a part of our church and we've watched him grow and mature and receive the call that God had on his life, that is very special. It's very exciting. It is very significant. And we must realize that fact. In just a moment, Randy is going to come and issue a challenge, a charge to James. But before he does that, I want us, the church, to understand that there is a call on us in this process as well. So if you'll take your Bibles and turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. We're going to read a couple of verses here beginning in verse 12. 1 Thessalonians 5.12. Paul writes to the church and says, We request of you, brethren, that you appreciate those who diligently labor among you and have charge over you in the Lord and give you instruction and that you esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Live in peace with one another. So I want us to notice here the the request, and it's really more than a request, it is a charge to the church of how we are to deal with, live with, and work with those who diligently labor among us. First of all, you'll notice he says, I request of you, brethren, that you appreciate them. That's the first thing we need to do for those who are called into the ministry as the church of Jesus Christ. We need to appreciate them. The Bible says in Ephesians that they're God gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers. And so he gives to us today a new pastor teacher, one who is his gift 
to our church, to our congregation. And we need to appreciate that. We need to express gratitude for that. Then he says we also need to acknowledge God's call on their lives, that he has called them not only to labor among us, but to give charge over us and to give instruction to us. It says in Hebrews that those of us who take on that role, that task, we have a greater responsibility. We're going to be judged for how we handle that. And so acknowledge that call and work alongside of him and give him the freedom to be what God's called him to be. Then it says, esteem them, respect them, admire them for the work that they're doing. And then it says, love them. And then it finishes up with a little different thing. It says, live in peace with one another. In other words, coordinate peace within the fellowship. That's part of our charge as a church. Now, I was thinking about it the other day, and I think the reason I was asked to do the charge to the church is I'm the oldest one on staff. I've been around the longest. In fact, I was thinking about it. I have been in the ministry almost a decade more than James has been alive. And in the course of that, I've had the opportunity, the pleasure, the joy of serving some great congregations along the way, including and especially the Heights Baptist Church. But being on the road 15 years of an, as an evangelist in that time, I also had the opportunity to see the other side of it, to see how some pastors and churches worked together or more accurately did not work together. Far too often, the greatest obstacle for the pastor is not what lies in front of him, the lost world. The greatest obstacle is what stands behind him, the congregation. Far too often... Pastors have been taken out of the ministry by friendly fire. They have been chewed up and spat out by the congregations in which they served. And hurt and disappointed, they've left the ministry and gone off into other careers and other directions. I want to say to you today, I am so thankful that my young friend James gets to come into the ministry and serve in a congregation like this. In a fellowship like this gathered at the Heights. But I want to say to you, I want to say to us, it is not something that just happens. To be a church that's supportive rather than one that is destroying is not something that just happens. It is a commitment that we make. It is a choice, a decision that we make. We need to understand that God has called us to nurture, to work alongside this young man. Our charge today, our challenge today is to step up beside James and to say to him, James, we got your back. But how does that work out on just a normal, everyday level? Well, first off, it means that we need to pray for James. Will you commit to that? Praying for this young man in the ministry. Secondly, not only do we need to pray for him, but he needs to know that we stand alongside of him in what he's about to do. He needs to know that when the hard times come, almost everyone in this room will be available to him for a listening ear or for a word of encouragement. And he needs to know that when the good times are there, that we're going to stand up and rejoice and celebrate with him. He needs to know that when he's in need, we're there to try to help meet that need. 
And he needs to know that we care about him and his family. You know, the strategy that Satan has for taking down a man of God is very simple. First, he will attack your ministry. If that doesn't work, he will attack you personally. If that doesn't work, he will attack your spouse. And if that doesn't work, he will attack your children. And so James, in April, we say to you this morning that we commit to cover you and your future family in prayer. Also, James needs to know that we'll offer him forgiveness when he messes up. And folks, he will mess up some along the way. He needs to know that we'll offer grace when he makes a mistake. And that we don't expect him to be perfect because he's still a work in progress, just like we are. We need to commit to James that we'll give him the space and the opportunity To be the man that God has called him to be. To display his particular specific gifts. To show his divine design. We need to be charitable in what we say to him. And how we act towards him. That's what God's word tells us. You see what it all boils down to is this. We commit ourselves to be the congregation that God has called us to be. And so we say to James, James, you move forward. You look ahead because we got your back. Don't you all love Mike? He's a good guy. I tell you. I think that's the first time I ever heard somebody tell somebody that was coming into the ministry that you're joining manure. Uh, that was a little bit, I didn't see that coming. But you know, you can get that, like he said, from, from old guys. And if Mike's the old guy, guess that you're saying I'm the young guy. And so I appreciate that. We, uh, as Mike just said, he gave the charge to you, the church. And so my challenge now is to give a, a, a charge to James as he comes to this moment. And of course, not just James, but his wife, April, also. They come to this. Uh, when, a, when a man and a woman get married, the Lord calls them one. He's not calling one to something that he's not calling both to something. And, and April, surely your, your walk with Christ, your gifts and abilities are are more than a compliment to James' ministry. They're a necessity. He, he can't do, he won't do what he needs to do and is called to do before the Lord without you. And so you're a very significant part of this call. God called James, God's calling you to this also. You know, James and, and others, maybe you've heard the, the, the call into ministry referred to as the, the high calling or even the highest calling. The idea being that, that being a preacher is the highest calling, the highest vocation on the earth. James, I won't be challenging you, encouraging you, motivating you with that idea today. I I don't believe it's the activity that makes it a high calling. I believe it's the one who issues the call that makes it a high calling. It's God that makes it a high calling. And folks, God has a call on every single life in this room. 
Don't separate yourself. Don't disengage from that word calling. God has called every person in here. Now, now, first and foremost, the big umbrella calling, he calls all of us to be a faithful follower of Christ, right? The, the calling on my life this day, this week ahead is to follow Christ. And there is a specific activity that he calls every one of us to when we're doing that, and that's to be a witness for him. Now, after those two big umbrella callings, a follower and a witness, we have the specific calling on our life. Some of you will live out following Christ. Some of you will be a witness as a soldier. He'll call you to do that as a soldier, another as an accountant, another as a homemaker, another as a coach on the ball field, another as a truck driver. And and yes, he will call some as pastor. Boy, do you approach your life? Your vocations, your situation as a calling that God has put you in to show everybody in that environment what it looks like to follow Christ, what it it looks like to to be a witness. I, I think I could make the case that the greatest need in our society today is not more people answering a call in here, but more people following their call out there. Now, now James, I don't make what you and I do small in saying that because you and I have the challenge, the charge to encourage, to motivate, to train, to coach them to live out that call out there. And that's the the work that you and I come to. As we do that, I want to look today at a passage that is uh, directed, that is aimed at people coming into the ministry. Uh, It's in Titus, if you want to turn there with me, if you're still in Thessalonians where Mike took you, it's just a few books to the right, go through the two letters to the Thessalonians, the two letters to Timothy, and you'll arrive at Titus. If you get to Philemon or Hebrews, you've gone too far. Titus chapter 1. Titus is, is sometimes referred to as a small church pastor, uh, a rural pastor. Uh, Crete, which is where he is, is a small island. It's a small community. And sometimes when you're a, 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 a pastor in a small church out in a rural community, you can feel alone. You, you can feel like, man, nobody, nobody's with me in this. And, and as Paul writes this letter, he has left Titus there in Crete, and he's given them the charge of planting churches. Now, he doesn't use the phrase planting churches. He says, put in place pastors. You're going to hear him use the word elders. You're going to hear him use the word overseer. Those are words that are synonymous with, that are used interchangeably with pastor uh, throughout the New Testament. And so you see him calling to put these pastors in place. And what we see is the kind of character quality this person is to be, the kind of activity that they're to have. Let's look at that. Titus chapter 1, verse 5. It says, this is why I left you in Crete, So that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. If anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife, and his children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination. For an overseer, as God's steward, must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard or violent or greedy for gain, but hospitable, a lover of good. Self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also able to rebuke those who contradict it. 
Now, folks, I think it's easy for us uh, to read a passage like this and we see, okay, it's, it's aimed at elders, it's aimed at pastors, and we just kind of disengage from it. You, you, you realize that everything in this list is commanded of every believer in this room. I, I can take you to a New Testament passage, a verse around every one of these qualities that is commanded of you. Are we not all to be holy? Are we not all to be kind and hospitable? Aren't we all to be growing in God's word, learning God's word so that we can teach others, share with others good doctrine, sound thinking and teaching, able to correct those that are wrong? We're all to be doing that. This is a list every one of us is to be striving after. Now, for the one who's going to lead, the one who's going to serve as a pastor, it has to be a little bit more than a verbal commitment. It has to be a little bit more than something, James, you're striving after. The church needs to have seen a little bit of a track record. We need to know that this is not only a verbal commitment, but there's a life that is beginning to fill out this commitment, a life that is beginning to live this commitment. Man, there's a lot here in this list. I mean, you could, you really, you could almost take every single word or phrase and, and make a sermon out of it, M- make a message, a, a study out of each of that. And I know that James has sought to unpack these words and understand what they mean in his life. We've done that with him. Today, though, instead of looking at each one of these words, what I'd like to do is look at one word. Uh, not because it's the most important word. It's just a word to me that is kind of a glue that runs throughout all this. All of these, all of these character qualities are centered around this word. And it's a word I find in verse 7 in the English Standard Version. It says, for an overseer as God's steward, James. That, that's the word I'm pulling out, steward. Uh, steward gives us the word stewardship. Jesus loves his bride. You know who his bride is, don't you? That, that's you. Jesus loves his bride. He loves the church. And one day he's coming back to get her and take her to the home that he has built for her, prepared for her. There are many rooms in his father's mansion. Amen. Amen. Yeah, he's coming back. But until that day happens, he has given a stewardship, James, to you to protect his bride to care for his bride, to love his bride, to provide for his bride. You have a stewardship. The the word steward means manager. That's the word we would use in our culture, the word we would use in our language. You are to manage, care for his bride. Now we can think of that word manage in an administrative way. He's going to manage ministries. He's going to manage people here in the, in the body of, of Christ. Uh, we might think of that in terms of certain groups of people. In our church, the Heights, he manages our singles ministry, that group of people. He also will be managing certain ministries, not just people, but ministries, our discipleship ministry, our, our prayer ministry. It's, it's going to be his responsibility in the management of those to cast vision, to give direction, to, to make those things happen inside the body of Christ. Or else he gets in trouble with his boss and his boss is a nasty, horrible person. You'll be given the management of that, James. But you know, when we say stewardship, it's about much more than administrating calendars and budgets and ideas and, and things that need to take place at church this Sunday. No, he's, he, James, you're a manager of souls. You, you manage, you're a steward of, of how we think about God. 
You're a manager, a steward of, of what we do with these scriptures, how we study these scriptures. You're a manager, a steward of what we do with the church, how we view it, how we see our own lives engaged in it, the role that we play in it. You'll be held accountable for how we all think about that. It's, it's an exciting opportunity on one hand. You get to shape how a, a body of people, whether it's a hundred people or thousands of people, are going to look at God, think about God, think about his church. What you focus on is what we're going to focus on. But there's a, there's a flip side to that, James. What you neglect, we will have a tendency to neglect. What you don't do a good job with, sometimes the whole body doesn't do a good job with. You'll be held accountable for that. That, by the way, does not absolve everybody in here. I, I, I didn't know that I was not supposed to believe that. That guy up there taught me that. Yeah, he'll be held accountable for that. But you're held accountable. It's your job to study God's word, to know what it says, to know what you believe, why you believe, how it applies to your life, how it applies to your role in the church. You're held accountable for that. You know, th- this idea fits well, by the way, with Father's Day. Fathers, you can't, you can't make a child, n- n- not a small child, not an adult child. You can't make a child come to Christ. You can't make a child follow Christ. You can't make a child live for Christ. But as a steward of the home, as a steward of that child, you have the responsibility to create an environment where they can come to the Lord. To create an environment where they want to grow in the Lord. James, you can't make us obey. You can't make us love God, but you have the responsibility of creating an environment where we want to know God, where we want to know his word, where we want to love him, where we want to leave here and go out there and live for him and be that witness. You create an environment of of encouragement and hope. You create an environment for unity. You create an environment where we look to God's word for direction, where we pray for help and for guidance. James, you have that responsibility. You can't make us do those things, but you create the environment for it. You'll be held accountable for that. And James, as we come to this moment today, your church family believes in you. We we believe God has called you to this. We acknowledge, we affirm what we see God speaking into your life, the work we see God doing in your life. We've had a chance to watch you grow. Mike just said a moment ago, 14 years I think sixth grade is is when you became a part of the Heights. Uh, And so we've had a chance to watch your life. That's not always the case. It's not required, but it's not always the case. I I, I was ordained in, in September of 1991. The church that ordained me, I joined in July of 1991. I, they'd only watched me for three months. Now, I'd known the, the pastor for a number of years prior to that, but uh, they had very short life with me, very short story with me. But man, we've had a chance to, to journey with you through middle school and high school and watch you go to college and then watch you enter marriage with April and begin that part of your life and then enter seminary. We've watched you come onto our staff and minister and serve. And so when we look at these qualities, we've had a chance chance, haven't we, church, to observe these things in him and, and, and to watch them. And yet, even though we had seen that, we still entered a formal process. And, and, and our pastoral staff had James come in one day and we asked questions of him for, for over two hours. A lot of the questions centered around those character qualities, 
centered around those activities. And then he went before our deacon body, some 50 men, and, and, and answered questions one evening that they had for him. And then uh, when we were all in agreement on what we'd heard, we, we carried James to a business meeting and, and made the motion that the church family ordain him into the gospel ministry. And that was voted on unanimously. And after that vote, the, the church rose in a standing ovation. They were excited. They were excited about James in April and, and what God was doing there in his life. What, what a fun time. What an excitement. There's a lot of emotions that can go with that exciting, fun, a sense of pride, not in a negative way, but just a sense of pride, a, a sense of accomplishment, a lot of good emotions come with that. James, I want to challenge you to have one particular emotion today, and that's fear. To, to, to be afraid of the steps you're getting ready to take. Not a fear that paralyzes you. Not a fear that makes you run away. But, but a fear that makes you pinpoint sharp, careful accurate. A, a, a fear that drops you to your knees, that keeps you humble and dependent before the Lord. Mike somewhat alluded to this and, and, and some of the reasons it happens, and there's a lot of reasons it happens, but, but James, a lot of men who come to this moment of ordination, they don't finish the race. They don't finish it well. James, your church that loves you wants to see you run the whole race. We want to see you finish it well. And you've had a great start. And who doesn't want a good start? But you know there's no award for a good start. Never, never, never do they stop the race after the gun goes off. And says, okay, stop. We want to give an award for the best start. They don't, by the way, folks, this applies to every one of us in here. They don't stop the race after halfway point and say, okay, we want to give out awards for who's run the race the best halfway through as a father, as a mother, as a witness for me in the workplace. We're going to give out awards halfway. No, they don't. There's no award for that. The award is for running the whole race. James, you realize there's no award for being ordained. There's not a special line for us in heaven. You know, an express line, bigger plate for the buffet. There's no award for being ordained. James, the award is for running the race, the whole race, faithfully and well. I think, James, your best opportunity to do that is to begin with the end in mind. To, to live today, to make decisions today based on what you want things to look like 47 years from now when you cross the line. I'm going to give you three quick ideas about what it might look like to be making decisions today in light of how you want to end. My, my three things are completely not creative. They're not creative. They're not unique. They're, they're not going to be things that nobody in this room has ever heard before. They're absolutely simplistic and basic. And they're key to you crossing the line. James, number one, love Jesus love him. You know, we say that so much in church, it almost has no meaning to it. It should love, love, love. It just becomes noise. James, love him with everything you are, with all of your heart, with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your strength. Love him. Spend every day of your life, not a lot of your life, James, 
every day of your life. The family needs you to. In his word. In prayer. Depending on him. Growing in him. Loving him. James, do not confuse coming to this building to mean that you love Christ. Don't don't confuse that because your life is busy with God talk and, and God work and God stuff that you must be in a growing, thriving relationship with Christ because it doesn't mean that at all. You can do years of God talk and God busyness and not be close to him at all. Don't confuse those two things. Love him. Secondly, James, love this church. We're ordaining you. The word ordain means to to set apart. We're, We're setting you apart to do this. Love us. Love us in how you discipline, love us in how you disciple, love us in, in how you counsel and how you teach and in how you give cast vision and how you lead. Love us in all these ways, but love us. You can do all of those things without loving us. Love us. And, and James, they're not always lovable. Don't tell him I said that. And, and James... You won't always be lovable. And, and sometimes for good reason. <laughs> but we're calling you to love anyway. No matter what they're like, no matter what they do, no, whether they respond or not, you are to love them. I think Paul says it in just about every single letter he writes to a church. But I love the way he says it, particularly in Philippians chapter 1. He writes to him and he says, I hold you in my heart. James, hold us, hold this church in your heart. Lastly, James, love and lead your home, your wife, and, and should God bless in the future children. Love and lead them better than you love and lead the church. Love and lead them before you love and lead the church. Now, James, you can get away with this for years and unfortunately sometimes decades. But if you do not love and lead them better, and if you do not love and lead them first, then James, there will come a day where it won't matter how well you love and lead us if you do not love and lead them better and first. Now, James, my challenge for you this morning has been around the word steward, and it's been around that word fear. Now, the funny thing about that word fear is fear can be a wrong thing and fear can be a good thing. I hope you've understood the good thing, but let me now flip to the, to the wrong thing because this whole thing can bring a lot of fear. As you move forward, it can, it can make you afraid. Let me lead you with the words of Joshua 1.9. James, be strong. We need you to be strong. James, be courageous. We need you to be strong and courageous in the faith for us. It says, don't be frightened. And, and don't be dismayed. And the reason God can say not to be frightened is not because of how gifted you are, because of how educated you are, because of this experience or that experience. Don't be frightened and don't be dismayed for God is with you. Amen? Amen.
James, I want you to, to come now, and if you would, just kneel down here in front of us. I'd like to ask all of our ordained pastors, our ordained deacons, if you would come now and uh, begin to just surround him and uh, put your hands on him. And uh, when we do this, we have uh, all of our deacons and pastors surround them, and then we uh, have up here a, a deacon and a pastor uh, that will pray for James. In this case, the deacon that is going to pray for him has the exact same name as the one we ordaining because uh, one of our deacons is James' father, also James Ford. And so, James, if you would lead us in this time of prayer, and I'll conclude. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for life because you are life, Lord. We thank you for your grace, your mercy, your love, your provision you made for us, Lord, and for being with us. And for your word. And Lord, we just come to you right now, Lord. I just thank you for this loving body of believer who loves James, who supports him, who prays for him, Lord. And I also thank you for Randy, for his leadership, for his mentorship, for his counsel. And Lord, if we proceed with this commission, with this public recognition of what nation I believe with all my heart that anyone who's had the opportunity to hear James speak can confirm that you have a call on his life. I pray that you give him wisdom, that you would uh, put a head of protection around him, Lord. I pray that you would bless his life, bless his family. I pray that you would make his path clear, and that you would use him to draw thousand upon thousand to you. In Jesus' name. Father, I just come before you right now, and as we acknowledge not what we've done, but what you've done in James' life, Lord, we praise you. We thank you for his life. We thank you for what he means to us. Lord, pastors will come into a church from a variety of avenues and a variety of experiences, but, but James is one that has kind of grown up in our midst. We, we have another. We have two pastors on our staff, Buddy Ham, born and raised here. Uh, men that you've raised up in this family, God, to lead and to pastor and, and to serve in that way. And we just thank you for James' life, his family, what they mean to us. Lord, as I pray for James, I'm, I'm reminded of when you sent Samuel to go look for a king. And Samuel saw these, these men that were strong and tall and had all this outward stuff. And Lord, I look at James, man, he's a tall, good-looking man. Young, beautiful wife. He's got the education. He's got the gifts and abilities. He's got all these things on the outside that, that tend to draw us and attract us. But Lord, you told Samuel that none of that means anything. It's the heart. And so God, it's in this moment that I pray for James' heart. I pray for him a lifetime of ministry, of being humble, a lifetime of ministry that is dependent upon you. A lifetime of ministry that loves you. That loves your people. And that will love and care for his family. Lord, would you protect him from Satan and his schemes. Protect him, Lord, from his own sin and temptations. And I pray that James will walk strong and mighty in you. For your glory and honor for your people and for the advancing of your kingdom. 
It's in Jesus' name we pray this. Amen. Amen. I want to ask James and April to come on up. Uh, Vicky, where I saw Vicky, would you come on up? We had uh, April's parents with us the last uh, service, and so they got to to see the whole family unit here. But I wanted you. Mike gave such a great challenge that we uh, wait till Vicky gets here, joins the other James. <laughs> this is uh, James and Vicky Ford, and then of course James and April Ford. But uh, Mike gave us that great challenge that we're going to be a people who are going to pray for him, right? And uh, it always helps if we can see a face and put it together. We are a large church, a lot of pastors, pastors' wives, all of that. So I want you to see who all goes together. And uh, James, we do have a, a, an ordination Bible for you. And uh, on the inside, I wrote a note to you. It's really cool. It's really meaningful. There's a really good line in there. I think you're going to like it. So, But uh, James, we love you and we're proud of you, aren't we? You guys excited for you, buddy. Okay. Mm-hmm. I'll go on out. <laughs> <laughs>